Welcome to In The Hunt Podcast. We will bring clarity to the complex game of golf. Start your path to better play today. This is Brian Bailey from Charlottesville, Virginia, and I'm joined with Mark Sweeney from Windermere, Florida, and we welcome you to The Hunt. Welcome to this week's edition of in the hunt podcast we're uh we're gonna make this podcast a little bit different a little more fun we're gonna introduce a new form uh we're gonna call it pub talk we'll get into that here in a minute but mark sweeney how you doing today uh i'm doing fine today actually i i literally couldn't remember what day it was when i woke up this morning i had to look at my phone to figure out what the heck day it was but uh but i'm happy to be having a drink at noon that's all right we're actually part of the episode today is we we will be drinking and we'll talk about that but also well here in the states it's morning drinking. There's nothing better than daytime drinking. Uh, let's jump over across the pond. We have uh, Jamie and Gareth. How are you boys doing today? After you, Gareth. Thanks, Jamie. I'm, I'm doing great, thanks. Uh, I haven't been out in ages, so I'm really looking forward to our, our hour out together. Um, weather's beautiful. We're out in the beer garden. What's not to love? Yeah, all good. I'm, I'm quite excited after three weeks of not being anywhere near a pub garden and... Um, They've, they've done wonders with the pub garden. It looks nice. Yeah. It's only us four, too. Yeah. I know. Amazing. I rented the whole place out. And um, we're 8,000 miles apart. <laughs> it's funny. that It looks very similar. Um, so what we're going to do today is we're, we're actually going to introduce a segment we're going to call Pub Talk. It's, it's more of a free form instead of uh, answering questions. It's more about getting to know us and getting insight from us and things along that line. Um, there's some rules to this game. And then at the end of the podcast, we'll actually talk about how you as a listener will be able to get involved and join us in a pub talk. Uh, but we'll get to that here in a minute. So I went and had to find a good definition of what pub talk is. Uh, so I went and looked at the most best well-received dictionary on earth, the Urban Dictionary. And, yeah. <laughs> and the pub talk is when you're out at a pub drinking with friends and you agree to something that you normally wouldn't do sober. Uh, I think this will be a fitting definition to probably this podcast and many thereafter um, with Pub Talk. The ground rules are really simple. We call it WBW. Um, you can either drink wine, beer, or whiskey. If you drink wine, you're, you kind of kind of come from everything on the negative side. You're kind of whining about it. If you're beer, you're boastful. You get to talk about the positives, things that have moved you up in life and everything on a positive note. And if you drink whiskey, you're just tough enough to talk about whatever the hell you want to talk about. And my drink of choice today is Yellow Spot Irish Whiskey, 12 years age. One of my good bottles brought that out just for today. Uh, I have it in my Yeti on some ice. Tastes lovely. So, uh, gentlemen, what are your drinks of choice today? Well, I'm on the whiskey, but it's Jack Daniels, and I know that uh, the Scots would, would be uh, abhorred that we call the whiskey over here, but it does say whiskey on the label, so... I'm with the Jack and Coke this morning. Right, I've gone to America. I've gone for the Founders All Day IPA Session Ale. Just, uh, just a classic from the States. <laughs> and I've, uh, I've decided to go Jamaican lager beer with good old tried and tested Red Stripe. Red Stripe, I love it. Love it. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'll, I'll kick off uh, uh, the, the first story of the day. Uh, kind of thinking about, like I said, the, the idea of, what successes and failures you have that kind of shaped who you are as an instructor or a person. I think uh, coaching wise, probably one of the biggest influences that I had in my life. And it, it was really exciting. Uh, I was coaching collegiately. Uh, I was doing tons of swing, full swing stuff, really crazy full swing. 
Um, me and the coach at the time, our team played. We got demolished by the number one and two team in the country. Uh, we were like 15th. We outstruck them from the tee to green. We were, we were better than anybody in the field, but we lost by, I think, 24 shots over three days. So that was kind of my epiphany as a coach. Um, both coaches were really good swing coaches. We weren't very good at putting and short game. That was about 15 years ago, 16 years ago now. I actually parried and went into putting, went into the short game. Uh, I worked for a, uh, a putter fitting company that was a little crazy, but I learned a ton about it. Um, I, got a, I got into the Sam Putt Lab thinking I could fix everything with technique and technology. Well, that didn't work. And then I met this, this, this weird guy that had brown hair. Um, he was a UVA grad. Uh, Only briefly was it brown. It was very briefly, but I still have images of it. Um, Can we just I, say I, that um, he's had a new start and it, it, it looks good. The Jimmy Neutron. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I learned aim point and that was a huge cornerstone of how I started to teach. And now for the last 12 years of my life, I've done nothing but short game and putting. So us sitting at a crossroads and my team getting whooped and then me having the epiphany that like, to make myself better coach, I need to learn more about putting and short game. That was a big change, kind of a, a pivot point in my life. And now I've gone down the road of learning as much as I can about putting, as much as I can about learning short game and as much I can learn about performance to get my players better. So I think that moment in time was kind of a, a, a definitely a pivot point for me to become a better coach. Gentlemen? Yeah, did, so what did you learn about that? What did you learn about putting? Oh, God, I'm still learning. Um, we don't want to learn everything, but what's the, what's, the, what's the single most important thing you learned through that time? Read, honestly. Uh, with, with Sam Data, I had really good players. We put them on the Sam Lab. Their, their numbers never changed much. We, we would work on the edges make things a little bit better, but their stroke was their stroke by the time they got to me. And there wasn't a whole lot of things I could do to change them. Uh, speed control was a big piece as well, but wasn't very well defined when I first started, but it's definitely much better defined now on how to train that. But I think Reed was really the big point that I could take a player that had no clue on how to, to do this skill, give them that ability in a minute, roughly. Now with Express, you can get it done in about 10 minutes, give them the ability to read greens and perform better. So inside the putting world, I think the big point was understanding read and how that influences everything else that you do on the putting green. Brian, would you say oh, that up until that point, you were, you were just looking at everything from a technical standpoint? Oh, God, yeah. I thought I could solve – I literally thought I could solve everything with technology, technique, and equipment. Yeah. Yeah, it was a piece. Those pieces are, are part of the puzzle, but it's not the puzzle. And I think I fell into the trap that I think a lot of young – instructors fall into that that it's it's a technique piece and I can make it where the stroke is perfect and we know it's not it's always changing dynamics always changing but but yeah I really thought I could solve it with technology hmm. right and what happened after you trained somebody in technique for several months <laughs> well I think my favorite case uh, we had one player that we worked on this literally we worked on her putting stroke for about four and a half months on on the equipment, Sam, perfect, perfect, face, pat, everything great. And as soon as we got on the golf course, about the third putt, she was back to what she used to do. Um, so so the learning wasn't there. Like, we could create it in a, in a safe environment. But as soon as things started changing, it all fell apart. And that was a huge eye-opener for me that just because I can get them on a machine over months, over winter and training and change something, they don't really – they might not have actually learned it. Um, so that was a fault on me. I should have done a better job. 
Ryan, how, how deep into four and a half months of technical coaching, at what point do you go, you know what, this isn't working? Uh, or do you just keep getting more technical? I just kept getting more technical. <laughs> I just kept getting more technical, going deeper and deeper, making it better and better and wrong. I, but again, that was my maturation. I, you know, that was kind of me in the transition of, I, I'm going to figure this thing out in a couple, you know, putting, it's not that hard. It can't, it's easy to teach this. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I, I, I dropped the ball on that one big time. But again, that forced me to be a better coach, seek out better people, get better information and learn to, and learn to coach better. And a lot of that coaching really came from learning more about how to teach and, and how a player can learn much more than the technical pieces of, you know, what is my face angle? Where's my face to path? Uh, things along that line. So basically you did four and a half months of short-term memory looping, huh? Well, if you look at it that way, <laughs> if you want to come from that side of it, yes, definitely short-term looping. But it was really good at times, man. I still have some of the pictures. <laughs> it was the most perfect graph you've ever seen, isn't it? Man, it the 100% consistency. Points, the inflection points on her transitions was spectacular. Was she fully bought in, Brian? Yeah, she, she was. She worked hard at it. Um, as, as much as a college kid can buy in a lot of times. So yeah, she, she worked hard. She did everything we asked and we built it. But like I said, I think the eye-opening moment was, I, I still remember the tournament. We were down in Florida state. Um, first hole putting stroke looked good. Second hole, she missed about a six footer. Third hole, it was gone. It was back to literally fall. And, and to me, I was like, well, I missed, we missed something. And that, that sparked. Oops. Yeah, is that an oops moment. Oh, I've had tons of those. Um, but that was definitely one of those moments where I was like, "Well, I got to learn from this and get a little bit better." What would have been the ratio of indoor to outdoor work there, right? Um, I would say probably fifty-fifty. But we weren't we weren't playing much. It was more on the putting green, setting up stations, and again, it was less. It was less performance and more inside of technical spaces trying to build stuff. So, yeah. Um, so we were outdoors, but it, yeah, no, that yeah, bad. <laughs> Have a drink, buddy. Drink to that. <laughs> yeah, that's a round table drink on that one. <laughs> sure, we've all done it, except for probably Gareth. But you know, <laughs> many, many times. <laughs> all right, all right. Who wants to jump in here next? I'm happy to go. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what my worst moment ever in golf was the worst day I've ever had was the first day we tried to do aim point on TV it was January of 2007 at the um, Kapalua at the Mercedes championship back then. And aim point we'd been, I'd been doing demos for about three and a half years on it. And golf channel finally decided to pick it up and use it for one single event, which was Kapalua. And we thought we had everything working and it was Thursday and they had done press releases and advertisements about this great new technology and all this. And one thing you got to realize about producing outdoor golf is that it's not, you're not in a close stadium, you know, on cement pads, you're out on TV towers and it's windy and it's raining and you're running cables through the grass for miles and miles on end. And there's all sorts of really difficult environmental conditions. And the first day we had everything up and running and about an hour before airtime, the system crashed and it wasn't my part of the system. It was somebody else's part of the system, but basically there's the, there are these, um, uh, 
sensors they put on the cameras to tell you which way the cameras are moving and the battery went out on it and they couldn't get it running and all day went by and everybody was yelling at me and the producers yelling at me and the directors yelling at me and golf channels yelling at me and the engineers yelling at me and everybody was like you know we've told everybody we're going to do this when it's going to come on when it's going to come on and we never got it running that day and uh and I was just sweating bolts the entire day and I felt like I just wasted about four years of my life and the way we finally fixed it was the engineers were trying to do all these, you know, fancy, you know, fixes to get the power back up and running. And I finally said, let's go get an extension cable and run it from the TV camera over the back of the green through the woods and into this old abandoned shack that we actually literally had to break into. And we stuck it, we plugged the the extension cable into a plug that was hanging off the wall by um, bailing wire taped it on there and got the power running and we ended up running for the rest of the tournament for three days and we finally got it up and working. And then we went six years after that and did tens and tens of thousands of this. But, you know, but what I learned from that besides it being literally the worst day of my life uh, just about was that going back to kind of what we do now with performance trumps everything. Like I don't care if it's a beautiful solution or an elegant solution, but you have got to get this thing working. You've got to get it working now. And if that means, running a hundred yards of extension cable through the woods into an old shack to plug it in, then that's what we're going to do. No, I think, I think that's right. I think, yeah, people, people look for perfect and they think perfect is going to be the ultimate goal, but it's not perfect. Is it, it, again, is it functional? Is it working? Is it doing what it's supposed to do? Um, Even like I said, when we create a game forge and when we, we release it out, we're like, we're not happy with, with what it is, but it's good enough to help people. And then we'll make it better over time. So, so again, I think golf is the same way. Don't look for perfect. Look for functional. Look for, for performance. And if you can do that, then, then you're on the right path. You can always refine it and, and, and make it better. But, again, don't, that, that quest for perfect is, is a death sentence. Yeah, I mean, if you wait around forever for something to be perfect, you're, you're never going to get there. And so we hear people saying, I don't want to learn green reading until my stroke is, is perfect and my stroke yeah. is really good. And that never happens. I mean, in your situation, Brian, you might have it, you know, on Sam in a, in a controlled environment, you might get it really good, um, but it's never going to get where, 100% where you want it. And to put off other skill areas waiting for your stroke to be really good is ridiculous. Yeah, and, and accessibly f- functional beats occasional optimal. No doubt now and again, you'll hit this most amazing golf shot, but that that's not what goes in the scorecard. What can you produce over 18 holes? So have you got something that can function for 18 holes and you can continue to access. Yeah, you know, do you think that's a problem with the golf industry with, you know, everyone trying to be perfect? Um, and we're seeing a lot of that now with everybody on lockdown, hitting shots into nets and analysing their, I mean, they, they can't see where the ball's gone, but all they can look at is their swing shape. And I've seen comments of people saying, oh, I've got to get deeper in the backswing. I've got to make, I've got to get this piece better. You know, um, with the current climate, I mean, are we in danger of going back down that route of swings that look nice? I, I would say yes. I think the danger of, of an idle mind is, you know, that's the devil's fingers, right? It gives you the ability now. I have plenty of time to work on this piece, um, but does it really translate into making me better? And this is definitely something can I, can I apply when I go to the golf course? So, you know, I, th- I think – the better player is going to understand that I'm, I'm going to work on pieces. Um, I worked with a player yesterday on the phone. Um, she's a touring professional. She was getting heat from outside sources that she's not spending enough time on the golf course. So in the States, the golf courses are still 
quasi open uh, all, all throughout the S. So, so her, her team was putting pressure on her um, that she's not working hard enough. So our compromise was she wrote a journal out every day, wrote, this is what I'm working on today. today you know, here's a piece of, and here's my goals. And then here's what I've achieved. So I said, if you create that, if people start to give you pressure about not practicing long enough, say, hey, here's what I did today. I worked on this, this, and this. Here was my performance goals. So, so she had the out of saying, I'm doing what I need to do to be ready for when the season starts again in June, uh, but not to get lost in that working really hard and let me go make this thing perfect. So to her credit, she's doing everything about performance mindset and kind of getting ready for June kickoff opposed to getting trapped in that, you know, what is my D plane? Yeah. Brian, who, who was commenting on her work ethic or, or how she was going about things? Uh, outside sources. Their, yeah, opinion, they, their opinion should be completely non-relevant to her. But it's, uh, yeah, you know, it's family, man. Oh. It's family. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have a drink now. <laughs> <laughs> on that note. On that note. You, uh, you, uh, I'm going to go next, but I'm, I'm going to tell you uh, an epiphany moment, a good story. Good. I'm not because I, I, I'm not going to tell my worst moment ever on the golf course. Teaching. You will, but not. No, I won't. <laughs> it's worse than making that lady bleed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the, there is a story that happened in when I was traveling and working with Squigs. Oh, yeah, don't tell that story. I kind of feel like all of these podcasts are now about trapping me into telling that story. (laughs) So good. Paranoia. The paranoia is setting in. I think this is a plan. It will come out at one point. (laughs) It can't. So um, my my good story, um, and uh, I've had a lot of time to think about this, and I I always come back to this one, is... um, there's a chap who's, who's no longer with us called Ramsey McMaster. And a lot of people that listen to this will remember the name. Um, you know, I think he probably died about getting on for 16 years ago, 17 years ago, maybe. And Ramsey was a Australian. Uh, uh, yeah, Australian. He was a, a fitness coach and he created this whole series of of movement skills for the golf industry um, and documented it, put it online. Amazing guy, like incredible enthusiasm. And he was a bit of a, a bit of a head case, but uh, he, he pointed me in the right direction a lot when I was coaching swing and overall holistic training with golfers. And he, uh, you know, he introduced me to a lot of uh, holistic training and he came over from Australia and I put him up for a day at the, the range I used to coach at um, and he taught a load of uh, exercises and uh, strength conditioning drills to all my players. And, and he said to me, you know, I was, I, I was really keen to be in the performance world when it comes to, to golf. Um, and he said, he said, he said, what do you want? And I said, you know, I want to, I want to teach winners. And he said, I, I really want to teach people who are, competing on the the world stage and i want to be right at the 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 you know the coal face when it comes to golf performance and he turned around to me and said your winner hasn't been born yet and and that was like a real moment because i was taking on scratch players young pros and i was in my mind i was looking at 
current players who would want to come and work with me. And, and that was quite a moment because what I'd realized I'd done, I'd, I'd totally forgotten about everybody that was, on, that was moving to that world, all the, all the up and coming good players. That, although I would teach them, I was trying to focus just on the, on the people that were at scratch or better level. Um, so, that, yeah, that was a moment for me because I think he was telling me to, to there's the old adage, remember, there's a, a joke about <laughs> you're going you're to regret letting me have fears <laughs> while we're doing this. <laughs> but there's the old joke about the two bulls at the top of the hill. Yeah. I'm going to tell it. There's a dad bull and a young bull and they're looking down a hill and there's a whole pasture full of lady well, cows. And the young bull looks at his dad and says, let's run down that hill and have sex with one of them. And the dad looks at him and says, no, no, he says, let's walk down and have sex with them all. I'm speechless. <laughs> all right. Uh, follow up on that. <laughs> I was just making sure I wasn't the first person to talk after Jimmy told that. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> Nobody wanted to jump in there. There's <laughs> that, that little moment of silence. Look, I, I can't claim to have had sex with bulls or cows or anything else. But um, I remember... But we get I, the analogy? I probably remember... Just put, it, put, put the bull down, Jimmy. I remember the time... Um, <laughs> probably remember the time very clearly where I, I, I became pretty sure golf coaching was, was my future. I was playing golf on a, on a beautiful links course in the Northwest, um, 12 holes deep. The course is playing remarkably firm because it's been dry for three or four days. Um, and I'm playing with another professional who's about 10 years my senior. And I've managed to hang on to level par for 12 holes and I'm nine shots behind. And I just went, oh, if he can shoot nine under for 12 holes in this golf course, I have no right thinking I can be a competitive golfer. Uh, and that's when I started reading a lot and, and, and learning a lot off the golf course about all attributes to performance and, and golf swings and, and short games and everything else. And yeah, I'm sure we all have heard stories that we can share, but I'd prefer to, to tell some of the good stuff, right? Well, I think, I think if you've ever been around an elite athlete in any sport, when you're not an elite athlete, and you actually watch the level that they perform to, you, you, you have a moment where you either quit your sport or you get motivated to get better when you see how good the elite players really are. They're mind-numbingly better than, than most people. And, and when you're first struck with that, I think it's a, it's a difficult moment. I've, I've had moments like that in other sports where literally the, the choice was, should I just quit now because I'm wasting my time or should I really double down and really figure this out? Yeah, and I think, Mark, as well, you know, one of the, the – the, one of the striking things for me that day was not only had he shot nine under by eagling the 12th, he had made it look really easy. So they, they're really good, make the very hard at times look easy. And, and they shoot these scores, whether that's a male or female or, or every sport and indeed business. And, and so it's not, I, I think if there's a lesson out there for kids, it's okay to say I can't get to that level, but there's other ways I can be involved in the sport. No, I, I agree. I, a, a great story uh, collegiately we had. We had one of the best juniors in the country came play for us. She's an LPGA player, Solheim Cupper, really great golfer. Came to came to the University of Virginia. We had a senior that was technique and components weren't great, but she had this willpower that she just figured out how to play golf and and just figured out how to play great. We actually put them together. Another coaching 
faux pas, I guess. We put them together in a match play game. And our new freshman destroyed our senior, kind of what we just talked about, because she was a machine, hit fairways, hit greens, did everything great. The senior is chipping in. Shot, they shot the same score that day, both a couple under par. But she's chipping in, making bombs, doing everything that's kind of on the fringes where uh, the, the freshman just came in and was just putting on a, a ball-striking clinic, making putts. And that actually destroyed our senior by the end of the year. She was starting to try to – she was starting to chase, I need more distance, I need to hit it better, I need to hit more greens. And, and basically to do that was going to have to retool our entire game and, and to us, it was fascinating to say a player that had will and could do it, once that will was shaken, uh, it, it, was, it was something to behold. And I stood there on the fairway and watched it happen. It was, it was interesting. Again, kind of that world-class athlete can just do it. It makes it look simple. And, and our, we, tried to, we tried to preach, hey, there's lots of ways to play golf. But she was determined to, to change what she does to try to be more like that. And it it really set her in a, in a tailspin and, and actually she worked, it worked out where she got out of our lineup uh, towards the end of the year. She just couldn't qualify or make teams anymore. And, and again, that kind of goes to what Mark just said that that world-class athlete that has put in the time and has built something can really, can really mess with another athlete um, because it just looks too simple. Yeah. I, uh, uh, a really interesting uh, moment. Another coach said to me once, he said that, he was, a, he was a world-class athlete in another sport. And he said, you know, everybody watches me to see what I'm doing to try to copy me. He goes, but they have no idea. He goes, they can watch me all day, but they really don't know what I'm doing. And what works for me is not going to work for them. He goes, they're literally destroying themselves by trying to copy me. We see a lot of that, on the, especially on tour, don't we, with uh, people trying something out. And then uh, they tend to like, to, to, to like the fads, try the, try the gimmicks. Well, I think it like, you know, in, inside of putting, when, when Tiger was the best in the world, you know, he released the putter. Well, he released the putter because he aimed right, and he had to release the putter to get the face square. So I would – I heard countless, countless uh, um, lessons from different coaches telling players that they have to release the putter. Well, if you're not designed to have to release the putter, you talk about a smother pool with a putter, and perfect design. So I think it's just, again, it, it, the danger is, is when I'm trying to do something someone else is doing and it, it might not be the right fit for you. Brian, if you had, if you had Tiger in your lab for four and a half months, could you have squared him up? <laughs> Back in the day, I probably would have tried nowadays. Hell no, man. We can sit around and talk shop. <laughs> I just say, Hey, you're making everything you're looking at. Let's leave it alone. Let's go have a drink somewhere. That's right. <laughs> Was was he aware that it, was he aware that it was aiming right? Um, I assume so because the the Sam data on him showed that he was aiming, you know, up to about four degrees right. It was a lot right. Yeah, yeah but then, right. But then that, but that would mean that the, the, he'd have to get good at how uh, changing that face depending on the length of the putt. Well, yeah, I think what was yeah, I think so. But I think what was fascinating, I watched the Masters where Tiger was talking the other day, and he was on. 15 or 14 talking about whatever he had this birdie putt and he goes my only thought was tiger make sure i i release the hell out of this club so he must know he aims a little bit right and he had to he's like i need but to that, get that toe closed that's just to that would have to be you'd have to be incredible at amounts of release depending on the length of the putt and the amount of break i also heard that that when tiger was had his uh sam putt that data 
um, recorded. He wanted to screw with people, and he he purposely made it pretty funky. Hmm. Could have. Um, so, you know, I, think I, multiple, I think there's multiple people who have recordings of it, and I don't think it was one sitting. But he he would be good enough to be able to create that. But that would mean he'd have to he'd have to misread accordingly, misaim accordingly, over-release accordingly, depending on lots of reasons. Possible. I I know I know people that being a right or left and compensate and putt really really well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that level, to make as many putts as he did, he he had to have been. You know, the interesting thing is that after it started going sideways, um, how hard it is to go back and reproduce that? You know, whether your aim changes or your setup changes or your eyes change, going back to that formula is has been very difficult. I think. Hmm. all right and then uh so gareth i was uh i guess we could go round two because we're about 25 minutes in we can go um a good news um i'll tell my best story about me playing golf everyone's riveted i'm sure um (laughs) i was in my mid-20s playing a ton i was like probably most people listening to this podcast player wise i was self-taught i took two lessons my whole life where I actually stood on a range with another coach, paid physically and was taught um, two different coaches, wasn't happy with either one. Um, so I'm playing an event. Um, it was the day after Cinco de Mayo, so it was May 6th. My wife convinces me to go out and have a one beer and some Mexican food for Cinco de Mayo. We go out and I run into a couple of buddies I hadn't seen in forever. Well, about 12 margaritas in, bad night. I go home. I wake up the next morning. Good news is my tea time's at 11. Uh, I wake up at about 10. My wife would not let me leave the house until I could prove that I could hold down a Gatorade. Uh, I faked it. (laughs) Uh, I left. I go walk. I literally pull up our tea time's at 11. I pull in the parking lot at about 10.50. I'm at the tea eating saltine crackers and Gatorade. Um, my playing partner is laughing at me cause it was a team event. Uh, and I proceed to shoot 66 on my own ball. Um, and the whole time, all I was thinking is just walked one more step, walk one more step to your ball. No thoughts about anything other than take one more step, get to your ball. Uh, we finished, we we're tied for the lead. My buddy looks at me and goes, whatever you did last night, we're doing it again. And I was like, <laughs> can't do it. but, but. But to me, that was a learning experience that, you know, sometimes when you play golf, it's okay to be stupid. Well, that's easy for you. I'm, I'm, I'm a natural. Yeah. <laughs> just letting it happen. That's right. Just let it happen, man. I, but it, it was by far one of the most fun days and the fact that my score was so good, but it was also a miserable day because I felt so bad. Had a few of those. <laughs> Jamie was involved in most of them. <laughs> Glad to. Glad to. <laughs> How about you, boys? Any good stories about playing good golf? Or I don't have any good stories about playing good golf. I uh, not a single one. I don't think. I think. I think my my favorite one of my favorite moments was when we first came out with Express and Adam Scott won at, I think it was Colonial or Byron Nelson. It was, he had just become number one in the world, and he used Express and won the tournament. And that was kind of the first time. Remember that? It was kind of the first time you know, on TV to prove out that the system worked as well as 
uh, I thought it worked because I got a lot of grief. You know, when I came out with Express, I, you know, people thought it was insane, including all three of y'all, I think, <laughs> but pretty much everybody thought it was insane. Um, but I knew, I knew in my gut it worked and I, and I knew watching players use it, that it was the right thing because people, you know, if you just watch their body language and their performance went up when they used it and it, it just, it took time to prove out, it took time for the, the industry to adopt it, which it obviously has now. But that was a real breakthrough moment for me, I think. Keep, I'm going to keep thinking, Gareth. Oh, goodness. I, I'm not going to tell any more jokes. <laughs> Jimmy, does that mean it's, it's my turn? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, agreed with me today. This, this could be I'll, the downturn. I'll, I'll look, I, I've been blessed in that I've played golf all over some of the most beautiful golf courses in Ireland uh, and, and some of the most beautiful courses in the world. Um, I think competitively, when you're not as good as the elite and you're struggling to get onto their shirt tails, it's always just brutal. You're, you're struggling and fighting all the time. Um, and when, when that switch off and I moved across, I go, okay, I don't need to be a competitor anymore in terms of trying to get to the next tour, the next tournament. I started to really enjoy golf. Um, I would probably, if the four of us teed it up in the morning, regardless of the golf course, if there's a six pack of beer and a cart and a boom box, we're going to have a great four and a half hours. And I think maybe that there's a lesson there for people that I watch guys, you know, in the UK and Ireland, we're very unique. It's always people want to play competitively, competitive, competitive, competitive. What I love going to the States at times, I remember standing, um, I think it was you and I, Mark, at TPC Summerlin, where you can hear the screams from guys walking out of the locker room going, woohoo, showtime, boys, and all this stuff right in there. They're getting ready to go out and have fun. I think the UK and Ireland and, and maybe all of Europe could learn a lot from that and, and, and do more, encourage more of that type of golf because I can tell you once I've started doing that, I don't get to play as much golf, but I really enjoy it a lot more. So, so what you're telling me is America's better. Yeah. So that, <laughs> America. That part. The, right the, weather's, the, guys, the weather's certainly better. You guys, <laughs> you guys just managed not to lose the Ryder Cup this year because it's probably not going to be held. Oh, it'll happen. Oh, it'll happen. <laughs> I think it will. It'll happen. Yeah. Oh, we're going to retain so. it and they'll play. You think those, will play? Be fun, those will be fun pub, pub talk conversations. <laughs> Do you think it'll happen? I think so. I think, I think, all, I think in the States, they're, they're going to – sports, I think, are going to probably happen here in the next – month and a half month month and wow. a half might not be yeah. might not be fans but i think they're gonna really with testing and stuff i think they're really gonna start um pushing uh sports back out there did i see there's an lpga event planned june 15th is when uh the lpga plans on kicking off where's our first event again um they're i think they're in the california swing mm-hmm. that'd be interesting well mind you you, you you guys are still playing out there. So, I mean, well, here's a thought for you. With this huge layoff and this ability to, to practice more, will they, will they score better or the same or worse? Worse. I think on average, worse, I say. I would say I on average. will get worse for sure. That'd I think, be interesting. I think the people that understand what they're doing and, and their training performance base and getting ready for the season, I think will have a huge advantage. I think, uh, I think this is going to be a great research topic of, of yeah. saying – what happened, who happened, and what, and again, if we can find out what they did and how they separated. But I think the, the person that trains correctly, I think will be ready to go. I think the ones that are just sitting around and, 
and not really, you know, I think it's just a, it's the normal off season for golf is usually about 10 days. So now all of a sudden they're getting, <laughs> now they're getting about three months. It's definitely going to be interesting to see who, who had the secret sauce to get better. And I, I presume that would be even worse in Europe where there's all the golf courses have been shut. I would think so. Yeah. So that's fascinating to see if, if, if when the tournament season starts, just how important the, the, the competitive continuation is. No, I agree. And I think Donald Trump's going to shut down golf in Europe until uh, September. <laughs> and then that way the Ryder cup happens immediately after that. And, and Donald Trump will take full credit for the win. Is, is Patrick Reed the captain then? Is it fake news? <laughs> That's very underhand tactics. Uh, find a way to win. Yeah, the Europeans would never do anything under, underhanded, right? Correct. <laughs> never. <laughs> Name one. <laughs> home, home field advantage. Everybody's always working the system. <laughs> Where, which, which was the um, – was it Oak, Oak Ridge? What was it when – that's a where was, man, the Oakers boys. <laughs> where was it when when um, Alathabel held a really long putt? And oh, that was Justin Leonard. Justin Leonard. Yeah. And the Americans jumped all over the line and celebrated on the green before the European had had a chance to hit. Jumped all over the line. <laughs> yeah. He hadn't had a chance to hit his putt. It was over. It didn't matter. That was like yeah. 20 years ago. <laughs> they actually started to dig the green up as he was getting ready. Imagine that now. <laughs> That was the, the best thing about that Ryder Cup, and maybe the worst, I guess, is uh, that was actually during my um, honeymoon. I was in Montana trying to find the ability to watch the Ryder Cup. Oh, I wonder where you go with that. <laughs> uh, all right, we're looking at about 35 minutes here, boys. Uh, let's have some closing thoughts, and then we'll talk about how this is kind of a, a test run of this pub talk and how we can bring – uh listeners in uh we'll talk about that here at the end so mark any closing thoughts no my closing thoughts are it'd be, it'd be great to get a get a couple listeners to join in and just see what's on their mind and and uh have an open discussion about it there's a lot there's a lot to talk about in golf out there that's for sure yeah this has been really nice just to sort of talk like we would if we were actually in said pub garden um it's certainly had a different feel to it which is nice um and and less corporate yeah, and, and agree with what Jamie and Mark have said. It, it yes. would be fun. <laughs> uh, it, it would be fascinating to get some feedback from people as to what they would like to hear us talk about in this type of format. And, and are there people out there who'd like to get involved and, and jump in and run on this pub talk type of concept? Mm. Yeah, so our, our concept is this. Uh, once I get this posted, we're, we'll release the audio version, but we have the video version that we'll be releasing uh, here in the next couple of weeks, hopefully. Uh, we have a platform for that, but really what we're trying to design is more interaction with you, the listener with us. Um, we want you to come in and actually drive the topics, drive the show. So anytime we do a pub talk, we want to be able to invite you in. Um, you'll be, you'll join the, 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 the crew here and actually be part of the conversation. Uh, to do that, the best way would be to reach out to us at contact at mygameforge.com. Once again, contact at mygameforge.com. Uh, definitely send uh, send us an email if there's an interest. Uh, our goal is to try to do this bi-monthly. Um, so, and then if we start adding more people, it could get more confusing, but our goal would be to do this roughly about every two weeks, just an open, frank talk about whatever. It can be anything from golf to, uh, Mark's wonderful hairstyle. 
Uh -huh. So again, it, it's completely uh, ever changing. <laughs> it's whatever you want to bring to the bring into this into this group. So we encourage you once again uh, to do that. Also, if you go into Anchor, which is kind of our big hosting site, you can actually leave us audio clips, audio contact as well. So you can actually leave messages for us there. You can definitely go into Anchor, leave an audio message for us as well. We're going to start taking some of those and put them in inside the podcast. So if you if you have a, a good or a, or a bad to say about us, you can definitely put it there and we'll try to get it inside the podcast. Because the one thing about this group is we definitely laugh at ourselves. Um, look at Jamie for Christ's sakes. You'd laugh every day. Um, so, so, so or, you'll, or you'll cry. <laughs> Let me tell you, there's these two bulls. Anyway. <laughs> I actually thought you were going to have a different ending to that story. Well, well, the funny part is I thought he said balls. I said two. I thought he did too. <laughs> I was like, where are we going? That's what happens when you sit down at 2.30 and have a beer ready for the pub garden talk, and then you realize it's not happening till 4.30. <laughs> Well, well, very good. Well gentlemen. done. <laughs> so thank everybody for uh, joining us in the hunt, the pub talk. Uh, we look forward to hearing more from you, get some of you out of here. Um, we'll do players, coaches, and I was even thinking we could bring guests, introduce a guest, uh, and then you can pepper them with questions as well. But thank you so much for listening to us. Again, well over a thousand downloads. I never thought that would happen. Uh, we appreciate that. Make sure you pass this along to your friends. Uh, if they want just mindless conversation for 30 minutes, we're your people. So thank you so much. Talk to you later. <laughs>